listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beulah Girl podcast. I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I am so excited about the series that we are going to be doing for this month. We are going to focus on Hebrews 12 for the next few episodes, and we are going to be continuing on in the same vein that we've been talking about for the past few episodes, just about not falling away in our faith, not letting trials and persecution come, but we are going to go more in depth into that topic with this series and really specifically focus on, especially in tonight's episode, just not falling away in terms of attaining the promises God has for us, those places of obedience that are really hard. Maybe right now you are facing something in your faith walk, some sort of obstacle that is just so huge and so large and ominous and you don't know if you can get past it and really evaluating, okay, is it worth it for me? The cost of what I'm going to have to go through to get through this, If is it going to be worth it for me to be obedient, to continue to follow to follow God, um, or is it just not, not even worth it? So just evaluating those places that are so tough in our faith walk that can make us really question, should we just keep going here, or is it even worth it to me any more? We're going to be looking at a particular passage of scripture today, and that is Hebrews 12, 15. And I want to just read it to you. And then I want to unpack it for you. But Hebrews 12, 15 says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I don't know about you, but often I've looked at a verse and I have thought to myself that I had an understanding of it, and I didn't really even know that there was another understanding beyond what I already knew about the verse. This particular verse is one where, for the longest time, I've understood it to mean really one thing, that in terms of bitterness, how we shouldn't let disappointing situations turn, you know, and make us bitter, how we shouldn't let festering anger dwell, that we should take care of our anger, our unforgiveness, and we shouldn't let those things remain because it will affect us, but it will also affect those around us. And this verse can certainly be saying that, but there is another application that I believe is the, maybe was the primary intention of the writer of Hebrews in writing this. If we look at this passage within the context of just the larger book of Hebrews and just the the chapter in general. It's kind of interesting to me, but we have actually been at my church doing a study of Hebrews this past month or so, and we're not yet to chapter 12. But if you look at Hebrews, it was written for Jewish Christians to encourage them not to fall away in the faith. They were being persecuted Many were going back to the Jewish faith because they were experiencing incredible trials, being driven from their homes, and they were in a place of saying, wow, I, 
I don't know if this Jesus thing, if I can do this any longer. And so the book of Hebrews is written, was written to encourage Jewish Christians not to fall away in their faith. So therefore, when we understand the larger context of the book of Hebrews, I believe that the writer may have a different, had a different um, sort of primary intention with Hebrews 12, 15. And if we look at just the phrase there, bitter root, it's highly possible that the writer was actually thinking of Deuteronomy 29, 18, 19, which says this, make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today, whose heart turns away from God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the, as the dry. So basically in Deuteronomy, a bitter root refers here to someone who would turn would be turning away from God, an idolater, um, someone putting trust in something other than God. And in this passage, Moses is warning the people to keep the covenant that had been brought to them. He's kind of reminding them because it had brought to, been brought to them 40 years earlier, but he's reminding them to keep the covenant and not fall into idolatry. And it's saying in this passage, again, that the make sure there's no root among you that produces bitter poison, that it's talking you know, about a person falling away from the covenant. And it's saying, you know, that they're, it's warning them. There may be those among you that think if you go your own way, you're going to be fine. But it says here, Moses is saying you won't, that not only will there be implications and consequences for you in your life, but you will affect others in the community as well. So when the writer of Hebrews in going back to the verse I originally read, 1215 is talking about a bitter root. And it's saying, you know, in that passage, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. This bitter root, the writer is alluding most likely to this bitter root used in Deuteronomy 29. Again, warning Jewish Christians not to fall away like the Israelites were given that warning by Moses not to fall away from God's covenant in the Old Testament. And of course, the exhortation is for us too. So it's in reading a verse like this that I'll just be honest with you that sometimes reading God's word is difficult. This is not an easy passage. It's Hebrews 12, 15. It is a warning and it comes across as very severe and stern and it can make us fearful when we read it. But what I always like to remember when I'm reading scripture is that we as Christians have the benefit of the gospel that we have Jesus who died on the cross for us. So even hard passages where we are warned that there's always hope for us and we always have the help of Jesus, which I'm going to be talking about in my next episode, but there is always hope. But it is important that we look at passages, even when they are difficult and say, okay, what can we take away from this? And, but it's not the easiest thing to do, but there is always hope underlying every single verse in the Bible that we 
we can find. So I want you to hang with me for a minute and also stick around for the next uh, episode where I'm going to be talking just about just the help we have in Jesus to do the hard things that we need to do. But I do want to just kind of unpack further this Hebrews 12, 15. And, and I think it's important that we understand not only what bitterness in this context is, the bitter root, but also what is required of us in our faith walk and what it really means to fall short of the grace of God. Let's, so, you know, the first thing I want to do then is, is talk about effective faith race. Some of us, when we're reading this, we might be seized with panic and think, oh my goodness, I've got to go out there. I've got to do every single thing possible to make sure that I am not falling short of the grace of God and I am, you know, pleasing God. It says in the Bible that it is impossible to please God without faith. So it's not telling us that we have to go around and do as much random religious activity as possible. What the writer is telling us here is that we must be doing, we must be diligent in doing the task that God gives us. So when we become Christians and we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a relationship. There are things in the Christian walk that are certainly good to do. Read the Bible, pray, fast, at certain at certain times serve in church those are all sort of givens but we walk in accordance with God's spirit so we aren't just trying to go down a checklist and say okay well I'm serving in church I'm reading the Bible check I'm serving in this ministry check those are all really good things to do but we are walking in alignment with God's will which means that we are constantly listening to God trying to listen to him and understanding that he has a specific tailor-made path for us in our in our walk that we're not just sort of randomly going down a checklist. We certainly do have things that we should all be doing in our Christian walk, but we walk with in alignment with God. And so we don't have to run around and just sort of busy ourselves doing as many things as we think will will please God. We can't earn his his love and we can't earn salvation now we certainly do please him we're supposed to walk by faith and not sight but that that means we simply are attempting to tune in to him and say okay god what is it you want with my life what is it you want with me today what is it you want with me as far as service in terms of you know, the church or what is it you want from me? And just being in tune with that. So it's not having to create our own path or try to just figure out, you know, just do all these sort of busy tasks in hopes that God will notice how much work we're doing for him. Hebrews 12, one and two tells us this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I just skip back for a moment to the beginning of Hebrews 12 in that first two passages, verses there in the passage and if I'm confusing you a little, I very much encourage you to check out the article that goes with this. And I have all the scripture reference links that you can look up, or you can simply go on your own and, 
and read through uh, Hebrews 12. But I want you to notice in these verses, it tells us that we run the race marked out for us. So this is, is implying that our creator has a specific design for our race and he alone orchestrates our purpose and the tasks we daily complete when walking in his spirit. So again, it's just this idea that to run an effective faith race isn't to do as many things as possible and just be busy, busy with uh, everything that looks spiritual. We can do a lot of good things and be out of God's will. It's saying, okay, aligning ourselves, being dependent on God and saying, what do you want with me here? The next thing I think we need to understand in relation to Hebrews 15, this um, 12, 15 here, this verse that we're looking at, is we also need to understand what it means to fall short of God's grace. Because again, this I think can really seize us with fear and panic because we may start wondering if we're really saved, if if our salvation is in jeopardy. There are different theologies regarding this, but my understanding of this and the churches I've attended, what has sort of been emphasized and what I believe this verse is saying especially if we look down at the very next uh, verse where it gives an example, what it means to fall short of the grace of God is not to lose our salvation or fall short in terms of, of earning somehow trying to earn salvation, because it tells us elsewhere in the Bible that we cannot earn our salvation by works. When we invite Jesus into our lives, we're saved. We don't have to do anything to earn that other than we just ask him to come into our lives. That's the only thing we do. And Jesus has done the work for us on the cross. So that's not what I believe the writer is saying here, falling short or failing the grace of God. If we look at the actual meaning here, if we look at the wording in the Greek, it means to come up short or fall behind. Thayer's Greek lexicon says to be, it means to be left behind in the race and so fail to reach the goal to fall short of the end, to fail to become a partaker or to fall back. I believe what this is really saying here is that it's saying that we can fall back in terms of what God would have us to do. We can do work that is good, and yet is it what God would have us do? And we can fall behind in listening to the Spirit of God and doing what He asks. So it's not about losing our salvation, but it's about falling short of attaining the promises God has for us and the blessings that are ours by the grace of God. But if we are slothful in our spiritual walk, then we won't attain those promises. We will go to heaven, but we won't attain the purpose we have on this earth. And we won't, we won't be able to attain the promises God has for us. If we look at the very next verse in Hebrews 12, 16, it gives an example of someone who fell short of the promises of God, and that was Esau. Esau fell short of the promises of God because he sold his birthright. He had been promised as the firstborn a double inheritance, an inheritance of his father's role in the family, among other privileges. So back in that time, if you were a firstborn son, you got more than than the others. Those blessings were rightfully yours because you were born first. And yet Esau gave away his birthright privileges to his brother. He came in from the field one day hungry, 
uh, he was offered a bowl of stew in exchange for the fulfillment of blessings that were rightfully his, and he traded his blessings for what was convenient and fulfilling in the moment. And this is such a difficult concept to embrace, but we too can trade away the promises that God has specifically promised to us, those those blessings, when we ignore his will for us and do what is more comfortable, more easy, we simply don't do what he asks, or we just sort of go through the motions in our spiritual walk. There's a Matthew West song that says, I'll just read to you um, one of the lines from it, but it just says, I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of going through the motions? And it's kind of describing the sort of path we can accidentally slip into as Christians where we might run strong for a while and really do what God asks and really be pressing in. And then life gets hard and life gets distracting and there are trials that pop up and maybe some persecution, some things that just make it hard. And, or maybe we just kind of fall asleep at the wheel, so to speak. And we're just not vigilant. And we too can can do what is more comfortable in the moment instead of some of the hard things God would ask of us. And unfortunately, when we do that, we trade away our blessings. And the Bible talks about empty vines that don't bear any fruit. Um, and Hosea 10.1, you can read about that. And also, there in the parable of the talents, Jesus talks about the servant who was wicked, who buried his talents instead of investing them. And that's in Matthew 25, if you would like to read that, 14 through 30. But it talks about, you know, in the Bible, not being a plant that bears no fruit, not being a servant who did not invest his talents. We want to use what God has given us. And so again, in Hebrews, it's telling us that the way that we attain the promises of God and don't fall short is doing the hard things he asks in listening to the spirit of God. And, you know, as I've been sort of mentioning, the idea of falling short of the grace of God, it is a hard concept and terrible thing to really think about. None of us want to get to the end of our life and say that we, you know, we missed it, that we lived a life that was just about convenient and e- convenience and ease. And, you know, we don't want to have regrets looking back and saying, I wish that I had done the hard thing in that moment so that I could attain the promises God had for me. And while this is not a fun thing to think about, the warning is there for us not to discourage us from keeping on and just saying, well, you're just never going to get there because it's not going to happen. No, the warning's there so that we're not like Esau, so that we do fulfill our destinies, that we do fulfill what purpose God has given us and we attain the promises he has for us. We don't have to work to earn our salvation. That's been done, but we do have to fight for that, which has been promised to us in the way of God's blessings And yet, we're not left to fight on our own. As I'm going to be talking about next week, we fight with the help of Jesus. And we we fight having um, the power of of God inside of us and leaning on Him in in our journey. 
you know, it's easy to look at Esau and say, my, you know, he, he wasn't very smart. He traded away his blessings, but we've all traded away at one time or another the blessings that would were supposed to be rightfully ours for something more comfortable or easy in the moment. I know for me, there have been moments where I have felt God's voice telling me I've felt a nudge to speak to someone in a, you know, some kind of public place or speak to them, tell them something. Maybe I already had even talked to them. This has happened before. I've already had a conversation. I'm walking away. I feel like there's something else that God wants me to say. And I just keep walking. I'm like, no, I'm not going back, Lord. Maybe I've already gone back once and he nudges me again. And I think that I'm just like, Lord, I'm exhausted or I'm not really sure if I'm hearing you right now. I just kind of brush it off and I have traded away blessings because I maybe was uncomfortable because I was afraid of what the other person would think because I wanted to get home to my kids and make dinner. You know, we've all made those choices, but the wonderful thing is even if we have erred, we have the opportunity to do U-turns, to turn around and say, Lord, I've messed up. We can, in some cases, we might know the person, we can add a, you know, we can call them back up and just be like, hey, there's something more I need to say can drop by their place of work, whatever it is. Sometimes the person we can't always go back to, but there are opportunities for U-turns. But we've all done that where we've chosen what's more convenient for us instead of what God would have us to do. And it's urging us in this verse to really choose what's difficult. And even um, how hard it is, if it's God's will, because that's what's going to Live that life of abundance that we all want to live, that it promises us in the Bible that we can live. And this isn't a life free of trouble, but it's definitely a life where we have peace, we have joy, we have contentment, no matter our circumstances, because we're walking in the will of God. I want to read to you again, just sort of to wrap up. I want to read to you again from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where it says, Therefore, since we have been uh, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I wanted to read that to you one more time because in that passage, it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And I always kind of read that to mean that for the joy of what lay after the cross, Jesus went to the cross. And that's certainly one way that we can read it. And a lot of scholars do interpret it that way. But in looking at the, some commentaries and the wording in the Greek of this passage, I came across another interpretation that I found sort of interesting. If we look at the word for in the passage, for the joy set before him, the word for there, it can sometimes mean instead of or in place of. And so if we look at it in that way, we can also look at this as saying that instead of choosing his privileges and his position as the son of God, Jesus instead chose the cross. Instead of choosing the glory of heaven, he chose the cross. Instead of everything that he already had and was rightfully his as, as God, 
he became a servant and he suffered shame. And so in either way of looking at this, in either translation, we get this idea that Jesus chose what he did because the better thing it would bring him in the end. He valued the will of the Father more than his personal comforts, personal goals, and he gave up his privileges as privileges privileges having a hard time saying that word and rights for the cross. And similarly, when we survey what lies ahead for us, Jesus may be leading us in a will in a way that is so uncomfortable. We may have obstacles in front of us that we we're not sure we can get through. We can't get through. We have we've tried. Um, we just don't know how we're going to do it. And we're, we're tempted to just say, you know what? I, I can't, I, I, I'm just going to not push through here or try to make it through. We are encouraged that we can embrace whatever hard thing it is, whatever humiliation that comes from doing God's will because of what we will get in exchange. I think also we need to note when we look at this Hebrews 12, one and two, we need to look at what Jesus, his view of shame was. He looked at the cross that would be shameful, the mockery, the cruel death, the pain. And it tells us in this passage that he scorned the shame. Some transla- translations read it that he despised the shame. And you may be like me and asking, okay, how does somebody scorn shame? How does someone despise shame? What does that even mean? And what that means is he viewed the humiliation and the pain that would come from the cross as the less significant thing, as the pain it would bring was less. It meant less to him than doing the Father's will. And we will literally um, often be in the place when we're following God, where we are weighing out what God wants us to do and the cost. And the cost may be steeper and higher than we ever imagined it could be. And we can do what God wants because of the better it will mean in the end. Esau took the easy way. He weighed out the two options. He weighed his birthright and he weighed the stew and he was hungry. He took the easy way and over the heart and he lost his birthright. Jesus did the opposite and accomplished the Father's will and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So when we're afraid, we're in those uncomfortable places where we have obstacles in front of us that are preventing us from attaining God's promises. We are perhaps in a place where we have been given a step of a a step by God and we need to step out in obedience, but we're scared to death. And, or maybe it's an area that we've tried to step out in before and we've just absolutely failed. Maybe in an area like fear or some other place. I can certainly attest to that. Whatever the case, if we're in that place, we can look here at what it tells us in Hebrews 12 and 12, 15, and also the other passages we read. And here we can be assured that the sacrifice will be worth it. Jesus stands as the ultimate example of one who went before us and accomplished the Father's will. We don't have to be the bitter root that falls away. We can be the flourishing vine, the faithful steward. We can finish our race. But the encouragement that I'm going to be talking about next week is that we don't do it alone. We don't have an example, a perfect example in Jesus that's been given to us. And then we're just kind of thrown out there to try to model 
after him. Certainly we model ourselves after him, but we are given a perfect example, but then we are given the help and the guidance of Jesus. He helps us do what we can never do on our own. So I'm going to be focusing on that that next week because you may be in a place in your spiritual walk right now where you want to do the will of God, but it is too hard for you. It is too steep. It is too far beyond what you ever imagined, and you don't know how you're going to get through it. And so we're going to be talking next week about that and finishing um, finishing our race, attaining the promises that God has given us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, sometimes your word is hard. It's hard to read sometimes the warnings that you give in scripture. They can be piercing. They can be terrible and, and they could cause us fear. But Lord, you give them to us because you love us, because you want us to have the abundant life promised in the Bible. You want us to attain the promises. You want us to live according to the purpose and design that you have sketched out in advance for all of us. So Lord, when we're in those places where we don't know if we can keep going, when the trials are too much, when the persecution is more than we can bear, when we have obstacles in front of us that are too huge for us to even imagine climbing and getting through on our own, Lord, help us to remember that we always have hope in you, that we have Jesus. We have the hope of God, the gospel. We have the work that Jesus did on the cross, and we are not left alone to do what we can't on our own, that you help us in our race, Lord, and that rather than get discouraged and stop running, that, Lord, we turn to you in whatever discouraging places and hard places we find ourselves in, and we we turn to you and find in you the strength we need, the guidance we need to take the next big step, to, to step out, to not fall away, as the writer of Hebrews is saying here, but to keep going in those hard places, knowing that it will be so worth it in the end. In Jesus' name, amen.